0: I want to say things to you so you are aware of the background of the real story. (laughs) This is a story I know firsthand and quite personally from my relationship with Noreen and Jack. I first met both of them in the in early 1984 after they had moved to Mansfield. In fact, I met Jack in the emergency room at Mansfield General Hospital where he was working while trying to set up his family medicine practice. There was a period of time when they had no car and Jack would walk from the hospital to home to the office in the dead of winter. And it is my hope that it helps anyone who has experienced deception, betrayal, and dark trauma. I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Hey movers. Welcome back to another episode of Moving Past Murder. I'm your host, Collier Landry, and what's going on? Happy Friday, happy eight days until Christmas. Wow. (laughs) The end of the year is rapidly approaching and I have been doing a lot of housekeeping and no, not like cleaning the house. I mean, yeah, obviously I do that too. I'm a human, but, uh, no, I have been going through boxes of materials and finding things and today I have found a mystery letter actually my parents, my adopted parents found the mystery letter and messaged me and said, Hey, did you, do you remember this letter? And I was like, uh, vaguely. So, uh, but first it is Christmas time. And you know what would be the most wonderful Christmas present for me to be able to win the signal award, which I am up for. And I need your help. That's right. You guys can help me out by going to www.collierlandry.com forward slash vote and voting for this podcast moving past murder for a signal award now i am actually up for the signal award for best exclusive content and today's episode is a prime example of why i have the best exclusive content because you guys are getting to know me and the side of my life and all the stuff that i've been through in my life with the murder and everything and i just keep uncovering all this material i mean I have so many letters. I have so I have underneath my desk I have like 400 letters from my father which is going to be full disclosure in 2023. Everybody keeps asking me, you need to write a book call here. I am writing a book. I am going to do a book of these letters. We're going to I'm going to make it available for you guys to purchase. We're going to do a GoFundMe to raise money for the book. It's going to happen because everybody keeps telling me I should do it and I'm just going to do it. So, um but these letters are going to be included in that book. So, And for those of you that do subscribe to my Patreon, I actually have this full letter up there for you guys to check out, the real deal. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, this is the exclusive content that I bring you guys and I think it's pretty cool. And so I'm up for the Signal Award and I could win and it would mean the world to me. So if you can find it in your heart, all you gotta do, is just go to the link, click vote, vote for Moving Past Murder, enter your email, you sign up, you enter your email address, they'll never bother you again you might have to check your inbox and say hey I verify my email and you can count my vote. Please do it. I would it would mean the world to me to win this award and it would it would be able to, it would mean that I could be able to do more of this content for you guys, which is what I ultimately want to do, right? So, on that note, enough of that spiel. Um again, thank you very much to my Patreon subscribers, for those of you that subscribed. Thank you to all of you that reach out, and I want to go to this week's listener review of the week. And this one I am reading right now because I want you to reach out to me because I want to talk to you. So this comes from a woman named Laurel A who wrote a review on Apple about this podcast. And she says five stars. Thank you very much. My father was a serial killer. I reported my dad for multiple murders of teenage boys. Collier. I love how you expressed yourself in your video. I feel like I have a similar journey. I would like to connect and talk. Let me know if that is possible. Laurel A. Laurel A that is totally possible. I would love to have you on an episode and I would love to talk about your story. I have a couple of friends whose parents are serial killers and obviously they had their story was a lot different where they uh they didn't even know they ended up they found out as adults and then they were like what it's a wild wild ride and when your father or your, or your parent is a psychopath and they're doing horrible things to people. I mean, I do an episode called sins of the father, where I talk about this. It was actually the impetus for me to make a murder in Mansfield, to talk about the consequences of violence on ancillary victims, on people that are not directly involved in the crime and i love hearing these stories and i love bringing these stories to you guys so hopefully laurel a reach out to me get at me call your Landry.com, moving past murder at gmail and i'll bring you on the program we'll discuss of course i'll vet you but we'll discuss your story um so i want to get to this week's episode so this so full disclosure so i am preparing to write a book i am going through all this material i am having My adoptive parents back in Ohio go through materials for me. Like they keep digging up stuff. They've got a couple of tapes that we're going to play on the podcast in future episodes in the next couple of months. And I, I just keep uncovering stuff. And that's, that's the crazy thing. You know, this, this program is called moving past murder and it's about moving. It's about moving past murder, right? It's about dealing with these extraordinary circumstances and moving past them. But this is a continued journey in my life. It's still going on. This is still happening. I'm still finding materials. So to give you a backstory. So this letter that was written from an anonymous person, actually a, uh, I believe they describe themselves as someone who cares. Um, this letter from someone who cares was written to my mother's sister, my aunt Carl. And it was written on December 30th. 1990 so w- one day shy of a year from my mother's murder and I have full disclosure again I have not read this it was just sent to me I looked at it and I was like oh okay and 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 as I'm uncovering all this stuff in my own because I had a bunch of materials that I used to make a murder in Mansfield and then I'm going through those materials my parents like I said are going through their materials that they found in boxes and they've sent all this stuff to me and it is just wild so i am consistently uncovering these new materials it's just it's become such a part of this process of sharing my story with you guys through this podcast through my journey and it's it, it's staggering to me that all these years later i'm still discovering this stuff um but this is part of the process right so i'm gonna put on my <laughs> trustee Amazon reading glasses, and we're going to get into this letter. So like I said, the letter was written December 30th, 1990 to my aunt Carol, who is my mother's sister. And this was almost a year to the day of my mother's murder. And I have not read this yet. So here we go. Dear Carol, I've sat through the last several months full of sorrow and pain as so many of us here at the events of this past year There is much anger in us for the way events have been handled by the authorities and the lawyers and, of course, the so-called, quote-unquote, friends. I'll use that term for them, for I was never raised to use abusive language, but the friends deserve more than that. I want to say things to you so you are aware of the background of the real story. (laughs) This is a story I know firsthand and quite personally from my relationship with Noreen and Jack. I first met both of them in the, in early 1984, after they had moved to Mansfield. In fact, I met Jack in the emergency room at Mansfield general hospital, where he was working while trying to set up his family medicine practice. Jack was working around the, around the clock to try and make some money. He would stay in in the office, then the emergency room, then help in surgery, then back to the office, constantly trying to get things going for Noreen and Collier. There was a period of time when they had no car and Jack would walk from the hospital to home, to the office in the dead of winter. Jack saved my daughter's life when she was in insulin shock. He was a devoted physician. He is a good man. Okay. So a couple of, a couple of things to note. (laughs) And again, I was a child, but I do remember these things. Never once was my family without a car. Okay. And while my family did not have money per se, or my father was not making a lot of money as a doctor because he wasn't in private practice yet. We had just moved to Mansfield. Um, there was at no point where we were destitute and had no car and my father would walk, um, to and from the hospital in the dead of winter without a car. Like I don't ever remember in my life, not having an automobile in my family. <laughs> so, um, that's, uh, what we would call bullshit. I think that's like a story when, you know, when you're growing up and your, your parents say, you know, I used to walk, uh, to school uphill both ways in the freezing cold. It's one of those stories. So, um, it's utterly fanciful. And again, from someone who cares. <laughs> I met Noreen with Jack at the mall one day, and that is how our friendship began to develop, helping each other to get oriented to the town, the people, etc. my relationship with Noreen developed in the years and we became rather close. It is that closeness that you will, you will see from some of the things I will tell you. I think the way the letter is addressed will clue you. Noreen often called you Anne instead of Carol. Noreen is my friend. She is my love and has been both for a while. We were very close on many things. I use is because I'm not sure enough certain of things, or maybe I do not wish to face a reality. I don't know. I just don't know. She is a dreamer, a wisher of things. She always wanted to be a princess and often talked about Grace Kelly. She spoke with envy of those that had money. She wanted her share of the good life. She, she envied Pam Brady and Anne Seidel. She envied the Roma girl in her class. Her father owned a junkyard, but it didn't, but didn't like her social class. Noreen liked Sicilian Academy, even though they asked her, they asked you to leave. It gave her a sense of class. Noreen carried that class all along. There is nothing wrong with any of that. The problem is that Noreen believed her own stories and started to think that way. Okay. So a couple of things. So I guess when she's, when this person who wrote this letter, who I'm pretty sure I know who the person is, but. This, I guess my aunt Carol was removed from Sicilian Academy. My mother went to a a private boarding school that she had a scholarship to. I ended up finding out and she went to Sicilian Academy. This is my understanding of it. I don't know a lot about my family. As I've said many times in the podcast before, and, and you know, when you're trusting the word of a psychopath, you know, pathological liar, you, you can't do that. So I don't really know all the stories or what really is true and what's not, um, which is sort of part of <laughs> part of the reason of doing this podcast is sharing these stories and sharing like my process and trying to cope with all of this. And this is one of the things I don't know a lot about my family history. Unfortunately, I know bits and pieces and I don't know what's true and what's not, it's just been manipulated and gone over so many times that I don't know which way is up in a lot of ways. But that said, I do know that my mother and my father did make up stories when we came to Mansfield about their origins. But, um, I think that the real person that made up the majority of the stories, like taking photographs with Naval medals that he didn't earn and claiming that he was an officer in the Navy and a fighter pilot. That was my father who is a psychopath who murdered my mother. So. (laughs) I think it's becoming clear who may have written this letter, this, this someone who cares. Noreen was close to your parents. Your mother never got over Leonard's little red TR3. And that led her concern to go straight downhill. Oh, she and your father loved you, but your mother never liked Leonard. And that was that it just became a snowball running downhill. As you were aware. The unfortunate part is that Noreen played on that to get things from your parents. Oh, it worked very well. She was proud of being the dominant sister. Noreen liked control, and that is the very thing I believe that got her into so many problems. Noreen controlled your parents so strongly that she was able to also control the money, and that is what she wanted. So Leonard would be my uncle Sut, God rest his soul. he did get into my understanding is he had a tr3 i guess as a triumph maybe uh convertible and he had gotten into a car accident with my with my aunt carol many many years many, many many years ago uh when my mother was still i believe in school actually and um my aunt had a scar from this accident and from the glass and things of that nature um i don't know if there was any intoxication that was involved in this, not I, that I don't know, uh, but I know it was a wreck and it was pretty bad, but they survived and um, they were married. Oh boy. Um, my, uh, grand, my grandparents on my mother's side, to the best of my knowledge, never had money. They were fairly poor. Um, anyways, Noreen and Jack at one time loved each other very much. That was a thing that was so evident to even to, to to me, even into the divorce. Jack was intent on, on making Noreen and Collier financially secure. It was a divorce of mutual consent. Noreen was involved with other people. Jack was planning to move and get married again. After the divorce, Noreen, Noreen was quite aware of all this and utilized it to her advantage. Jack would do anything for Collier and Noreen played this to her advantage, telling Collier all sorts of things to get Jack to do. Noreen even invented stories for Collier about Jack, which unfortunately Collier believed this has to this day destroyed a little boy who has no family to turn to. He's scared and alone shuffled from the school teacher to the phone man. Collier doesn't know where he's going. The court system here and the police are trying to keep Collier here because he knows things that would hurt their case against Jack. Collier will never leave Richland County alive. I'm absolutely convinced about that. Well, the good news is, is that I currently live in Los Angeles, California, and it has been 30 years since this letter was written. And I think I did make it out of Richland County alive. In fact, like 20 years ago, I made it out of Richland County alive. Um, What's also interesting is I do remember my father (laughs) saying to me, uh, during the period of the nasty divorce leading up to my mother's murder, that he was going to make it, he was, I was going to be removed from, from private school. I went to a school called discovery school and I was going to be sent to public school to be with the other poor kids because my mother was going to be so poor. She was going to be working at McDonald's. And we were going to lose our house. I remember him threatening me with all of this at the time, uh, leading up to the murder. He would tell me these stories. He would tell me how wonderful his girlfriend, Sherry is and the new life that he's going to have and how horrible my mother and I were. In fact, my father used to tell me that my mother was turning me into a little faggot. I hate to use that word, but that's what my father said to me growing up and it is, um, It is unfortunate. So, um, obviously I think it is becoming very clear who we know may have written this letter because they know a lot of details about things, but they definitely are very good at skewing it in, uh, casting it in a light that is favorable to my father and disfavorable to my mother, but I will continue. Noreen was involved in many things over the past year. The deal with Elizabeth was just that. Now, Elizabeth was my half sister or sorry. My Elizabeth was my sister who was adopted from Taiwan, who, um, was adopted, uh, six months before my mother was murdered. And that's who he's referring to. And, and other episodes of this podcast, I've re- my father has referred to my mother setting up her, uh, causing her own murder by being involved in a Chinese baby selling ring and gold smuggling and things of that nature has a very familiar ring to it in today's political (laughs) climate as well, but, uh, yeah, very, very bizarre. Uh, so the deal with Elizabeth was just that a method of bringing, oh, here we go. (laughs) a method of bringing children into the country for people to adopt for a tidy sum at first Noreen was only minimally involved, but the dollars got to her and things became deeper and more involved. This was her new income source all tax-free, and she loved it. Noreen's involvement was not only with Peggy Lai. Now, Peggy Lai was a friend of our family. She was Chinese, she was from Taiwan, and she helped my mother adopt our baby, uh, or my sister from Taiwan, Elizabeth. It was not only with Peggy Lai, but with others in this town. Unfortunately, Dave Messmore was also a contact, and he and Noreen were active together in many quote-unquote deals. There is no doubt in my mind that he had something to do with her disappearance. There is a long connection with mesmore and drugs and prostitution and unsolved murders in this community. He is not too clean. Okay. So I think at this point uh <laughs> and this is just obviously from this someone who cares. I want to point out that the typewriter font and the parchment <laughs> that this particular letter is written on and is typed on just so happens to match the same typewriter typing and paper that came from my father's letters to me around this time from prison where he was in Warren Correctional Institution. Just saying a fantastic coincidence. Let's put it that way. And there just is the gaslighting and just the way that this, this is just Obviously, I mean, here, let's just talk about the disgusting thing. This is a man, the, the man that this person is referring to has murdered her sister, has also been responsible for molesting her two children a couple of years prior, her two daughters, which caused a massive rift in this family as well with her and my mother. And I've talked about this in the murder in Mansfield. And there is, there is that whole thing. And then he's trying to manipulate her to say all of this stuff and then talk about her husband, talk about, you know, my, my uncle and, and her parents and all of this, whoever this person is, what they are writing is, is clearly beyond the pale, not only is it utterly fanciful, it is beyond the pale. As we say, I continue. I saw your daughter's letter. Oh, and and you know, and then he discusses also this involvement of David Messmore, who was the lead investigator, who who was the only person who believed me that my mother was murdered, as far as law enforcement, and actually did something about it. And then I gave evidence, and uh, you you guys know the story. But uh, David has a flawless reputation as a police officer, as a detective, and as a public servant in Richland County. He never knew my mother. <laughs> Straight up, never knew my mother. i never met him. I met pretty much everyone that my mother ever came in contact with. And I never, ever saw Dave Messmore until he arrived at my home after my mother had disappeared and after I knew she was killed. Never saw him before in my life. I'd also say that it's, as an adult, see, this is the thing that's interesting to me is as I'm an, becoming an adult and become I'm, I'm firmly an adult, I believe, in a lot of ways, at least, I am definitely able to sort of break down time. So if my mother was involved in a baby selling ring or Chinese gold smuggling, she worked really, really quickly to get involved in that. I think, I don't I don't know a lot about underground criminal organizations other than what I've seen in like, you know, Martin Scorsese films. But I would say that it does take a little bit of time to, to build trust with people that you are committing crimes financial crimes and, and human trafficking and, and gold smuggling with it can't be done because if Elizabeth, you know, the adoption process started like late 1988, early 1989, you're talking about a matter of six to eight months that all of this escalated and there was money being making, made head over, you know, hand over fist, you know, this isn't. FTX and, and, and SBF controlling all of this. This isn't some cryptocurrency scheme. This isn't things that are happening. This is 1989 and, uh, things didn't move as fast. Money transfers, things like that. So this is very, I mean, this is just so so crazy, but I continue with the letter. I saw your daughter's letter in the newspaper, and this is what prompted my letter, the so-called quote unquote friends are all far from that. Noreen never had anything to do with them except when it suited Noreen. Marge Temperman is the town, well, I'm not gonna say this. Um, both of these leeches are trying to get as much of Noreen's property as possible, the clothes for instance. I hope you get your tea cart back if it's, in, if it's a family heirloom. Noreen had several tea carts, so I don't recall which one it is. Actually, my mother's tea cart is still outstanding, and we only had one. Actually, no, we had two. We did have two. So my mother had one made. But there would be my nana's tea cart, which was my mother's grand uh, my mother's mother. And by the way, I'm I'm not reading some of this because some of the stuff that this person is writing is really gross and saying about people that I knew growing up, so I'm just not gonna read it. Um But for those of you that are on Patreon, you can read the full letter. Cause I'll put it up on my Patreon. Um, Noreen had several tea carts. Okay. You get your tear cart card back. So I don't recall which one it is much of Noreen's jewelry is fake much is genuine and much of Noreen's jewelry is fake. Much is genuine and valuable. I think the attorneys are just having a field day with the property and the money and their fees. Well, I mean that I would agree with because that is very true. Uh, They are very unscrupulous. They are very unscrupulous indeed. You might hear from them about, uh, but you might not. If they give it away, then that's less for them to sell. Attorney Blank is handling the children's part, is a real idiot with a bumbling practice until he was court appointed in this case. He used to be a high school band leader. Attorney Blank is much better, just a little more experienced. Is that is not much better, but just a little more experienced. Anyhow, the questions about this tragedy linger. Jack A dedicated physician who cared for the poor when no one else would. Someone who could be counted on by others. A good man, as I said before. And Noreen, a pleasant lady, if not a bit excitable. I liked them both. I loved Noreen and wanted to marry her. I will never believe that Jack killed Noreen. I do not believe that Noreen is dead. (laughs) If that is the case, then there are too many fingers in the pie of that crime, ranging from the next door neighbor to the police department, to the Columbus gang. Gang, a gang is now involved. I'm keeping my mind and ears open in this case because too much is at stake. There are people in this town who know much about the case, but are afraid to speak out for fear from the police or their hit squads. I'm afraid that I'm one of them, since I will not be signing this letter, but it was important for me to ramble on about things that have occupied my mind for the last several months about two people that I highly respected and loved. Take care, Carol. I don't know if I'll write again. I just felt that I had to get some things out in the open to you. We will all keep praying and searching from this end to find the answers. Someone who cares. Well, someone who cares. I mean, I, again, I don't know who wrote this letter, but I would say it is a fantastic coincidence that it happens to match the typesetting of the typewriter. my father wrote all of his letters from in the early 1991 92 when he was incarcerated at warren correctional institution in lebanon ohio or warsi as they call it but my god and this is the thing when i read these letters to to you guys and i talk about these these things is it's just so staggering to me that someone is so disgusting, is so manipulative, is so wrapped up in themselves. I mean, I don't know a single person. I mean, it's almost messianic because you have this person that's writing. Anyhow, the questions about this tragedy linger. Jack, a dedicated physician who cared for the poor when no one else would. Someone who could be counted on by others, a good man. As I said before, did he also take a loaf of bread and a fish and he fed 500 people? Did he turn water into wine? Did he walk on water? Cause that is, like I said, it's, it's rather messianic if you will. Um, wow. I mean, I don't, and I loved Noreen and wanted to marry her. You know, I can comment on this letter a lot more and maybe I'll do another episode about this, but there were other people that were involved with my parents, you know, that I know of, and I haven't really, I haven't really gone down these, these sort of paths on this podcast before, but I, I feel like this almost warrants a, uh, another podcast, a separate podcast about my sorted, uh, about the history of these letters and the history of these relationships, because it is. Really fascinating to me. And again, like I said to you guys at the start of this, uh, this episode, I have not read this yet. I'm literally reading it to you right now. Just wow. I don't have a lot to say, but I, I do have a lot to say. And there's a lot of things running through my mind. I think I need to really process this. I really do. I think I need to process this and come and revisit this letter. I feel like i need to good thing that doctor that dr jaffe is on for tomorrow at 1 p.m because this will be discussed this will be discussed with dr jaffe in our session oh my god wow um this is real this is this is this is the life so not only do i lead this life as like a filmmaker working in in los angeles and all this but then i do this podcast and then i come across these things as i'm putting more and more of this material together and this is just staggering to me. This is just, this is the ramblings of a madman or a woman. I think madman. I think we all know who wrote this letter. I think it's pretty obvious from its, um, pantameter. Would that be a word I could use in this? The, um, just the way that it's written. It just reeks of my father. And, um, I think that's what it is, especially with the way that he talks about himself or the way that this person describes my father, a good man, a good man who who cared for the poor when no one else would. I mean, you know, I know my father had a very dedicated patient fan base for sure. And, and, and in, in that regard, and a lot of people loved him for that, but um, I don't think anyone would say that he was a particularly good man. He was having an affairs with, with so many people including at the hospitals and, and just, you know, a good man does not impregnate his mistress and then tell his wife that she needs to just live with it and then tell their son that he's going to make their life a living hell because she divorced, she's divorcing him and he's going to be going to public school. And not that it's wrong. I ended up going to public school. There was nothing wrong with it. It was fantastic, but you know, using these scare tactics on a child and, and, you know, just trying to, to just, just doing a lot of damage really is what it is. That's not what a good man does. That's for sure. Wow. I got to take a moment to process this guys. I'm not going to lie, but, uh, you know, happy, (laughs) happy holidays, happy holidays. Oh boy. Um, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Wow. Yeah, for those of you in Ohio and are in, in blizzard conditions. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's going to take me a while to process this one, that's for sure. Uh, if you guys want to see this full letter, go to my Patreon, patreon.com forward slash call your Landry. You can check it out. I'm posting the letter. When you sign up, you can watch Murder in Mansfield. I have all kinds of great content on there. You can check out the full version of this letter. Let me think about this all week until I speak to you guys next. Uh, anyways, I'm Collier Landry, and this is Moving Past Murder. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. And please, Subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible. Find us on YouTube, youtube youtube.com forward slash Collier Landry. The film A Murder in Mansfield is available on Investigation Discovery, Discovery Plus, and Amazon Prime Video. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Please visit mpmpodcast.com to show your support today.